You know, it used to be that leaders wouldn't dream of using market research to influence strategy on a principled basis, right? They did not want us having customers tell us what they need to learn. That was sort of how it was expressed. Welcome to How to Market a University, a special podcast series featuring vignettes of Dr. Teresa Flannery's book, How to Market a University. Terry Flannery has spent her entire career in higher education. She was the first marketing director and chief marketing officer at the University of Maryland, the first vice president of communications at American University, and most recently, the interim vice president for marketing and communication at Stony Brook University. At a time of declining public support, a shrinking pipeline of traditional college-bound students, and a steady rise in tuition and discount rates, higher education leaders have never been under more pressure. How can they ensure steady or growing enrollments while cultivating greater philanthropic support, increasing research funding, and diversifying revenue streams? In How to Market a University, Terry argues that institutions can meet all of these goals by implementing strategic, integrated marketing in ways that are consistent with academic culture and university values. Enrollify and Terry have joined forces to produce Enrollify's first ever master course that mirrors the robust learnings and deep insights packed into Terry's book. Over the next eight weeks, this special podcast series will give you a taste of what you can expect in the master course. But that's it, just a taste. To unpack all of the language, the frameworks, the tools, and the tactics that CMOs or aspiring CMOs will need to learn to lead the work of marketing in higher education, we invite you to register for the master course on how to market a university at enrollify.org forward slash master course. Again, that's enrollify.org forward slash master course. This master course features guest experts like Seth O'Dell, Jenny Petty, Jamie Hunt, Ethan Braden, Michael Stoner, Angela Pollock, Binti Harvey, Bob Johnson, and many more. It's also filled with downloadable templates and worksheets to help you retain the course material. And last but certainly not least, this course was made possible by the leading agencies in higher education marketing who all came together to support this effort. We want to thank Simpson Scarborough, MindPower, DD Agency, and Ology for their incredible guidance and partnership. To learn more about how these firms have helped colleges and universities of all shapes and sizes realize their branding, marketing, enrollment, and advancement goals, hop on over to their respective websites in the show notes below. All right, without further ado, welcome to the How to Market a University podcast series. Terry, it seems to me that higher ed has sort of this love-hate relationship with market research, which is, you know, somewhat ironic considering that the vast number of institutions conduct research in some way, shape, or form. Leaders seem hesitant, especially these days, to, to invest appropriately in these efforts. And I can imagine why this is, but I, th- I just love your thoughts. Like, what is it about market research that, that is challenging and can sometimes be a, a friction point for universities? Well, I don't agree exactly with with your assessment of where we are. It certainly was that way in the past, but I feel like we've come a long way from where we were. You know, it used to be that leaders wouldn't dream of using market research to influence strategy on a principled basis, right? They did not want us having customers tell us what they need to learn. That was sort of how it was expressed. And it's the faculty that decides what we teach. So from that basic root of academic freedom, you know, faculty will lead the academic program you have at that kind of laddering up to 
data won't tell data from customers won't tell us anything about strategy we'll decide that's all flipped right yeah yeah i think a lot so we have presidents who understand market that market research informs their strategic plan and their brand strategy and they're actually doing them in tandem more that's happening more recently you would never have seen that even five years ago it's mind-blowing that it's happening more regularly which is great and some agencies are starting to offer both um planning cycles with one research product huh. to do both at the same time now. So that's another reflection of where things I think are headed. And another example, I talked to one president who signed a market research uh, study, a, a contract for the market research study for the brand research on his very first day on the job. Wow. Now, when you think all the things you need to do on your first day as president and there's some priority to him, the fact that he did that on the first day is a huge statement of its significance. So having stipulated all of that, I'll say that I get it. I know that there's some attitudes out there. Those And those that don't get it, I think, are in a hurry, mainly, mm. right? But they don't, well, they don't want to waste time or they see it as perceiving as wasting time. And they're hasty about getting to the expression that will follow. But they don't realize that research is going to create this roadmap, right? That's going to set the baseline, not only for the strategy, but measuring any performance against it. And a lot of them don't realize the, other, the alternate value um, of market research is that it's an insurance policy for keeping everybody to hang in there with you until the results start to be seen. Hmm. You go back and say, well, remember, this is what we said that the goals were going to be and we've made some progress on this, but it's not time to take our foot off the gas yet or to change to something else. So roadmap and insurance policy are the two reasons to do it. And I think more people are starting to understand that. Yep, that's very encouraging. Yeah, and I, I must just be in the dark places of the internet or something when <laughs> I, I hear these people complaining. And But to your point, I, I really do think it's more about, hey, we need results now. We need to get going. And yeah. this can seem like an unnecessary, you know, chore, right? Or it seems like it's, it's almost like, you know, making the bed, right? Like it doesn't really <laughs> matter. Like do you need to make the bed right when you get up, right? Like it, you're going to sleep in it the night, you know. Are you telling us you don't make your bed? I, <laughs> I don't. My wife spends way too much time making the bed, but... <laughs> But no, but it is funny to see. It's not even that it's funny. It's good to hear that from your perspective, like there's been way more adoption and a, a significant increase in understanding around the importance of market research. And I think, you know, now more than ever before, yeah. schools need to be doing this. It's not a luxury. Yeah. And I like to tell leaders all the time when I'm setting expectations for how long this will take just to get ready to develop, launch a new brand initiative, for example, that. Marketing is not the fire alarm to pull when the house is already on fire. Mm. Uh, it's just not going to work that quickly. Yeah. And the research in particular isn't a luxury. It's something that's going to set the foundation for doing everything well. You could get into real trouble if you don't have that as your foundation. So we may need to convert more people to that <laughs> attitude, but that's certainly where I No, it's great. And I, I, I do think like... To your point, I love the analogy of it being this insurance policy to you because I think that's also a very helpful way to think about it when, hey, you if you've done the work, if you put in the work and you know and understand what the data is saying and you can keep referencing that as people, as different stakeholders come to challenge or, or you know, question the expression even, being able to kind of land back on that is is incredibly powerful. Otherwise, yes. people have short-term, you know, memories. And like, it can be difficult to remember why we decided something, right, <laughs> three months ago, let alone three years ago or whatever it is. And well, so- a lot of our communities turn over every year. Yeah, you know, there you go. a quarter even... of new students every year and a lot of new faculty. And so that turnover alone is a challenge. Great, great. Well, hey, if you have not been convinced 
by now. I think it's, I, do think, the I, think, I think we can agree to do the <laughs> research. So Terry, you have an experiment that you've run many times to, to help remind institutional leaders of the importance of market research as a starting point for higher ed branding and marketing. And I love this experiment. So <laughs> I'm hoping you can kind of walk us through it yep. and share, you know, from your experience, how it's performed over time. Yeah, this is an exercise that's designed to reinforce for leaders that diligent, timely, and accurate research is indispensable. Uh, And this is wisdom from my friend Tom Hayes. You know, there's two reasons why you need this kind of research. One, because you're not your customers. And two, because everything changes. (laughs) And so the exercise does the following. After I've developed thorough creative testing for some kind of marketing piece, so it could be a video, some creative expression of a concept for an ad or a publication, whatever it is, it's been thoroughly creative tested with at least two alternatives. And then I put the two alternatives in front of leaders, the president, the provost, maybe a few others. And, you know, most of them obviously are a little older, often a little more white than our students are, and their generations removed from their own experience as students. So I say, which of these two alternatives do you think better meets the need that we have, given what we've designed it to do? And they inevitably pick the one that the students did not choose in creative <laughs> testing. It's never failed, not even once. <laughs> Got to the point after a few r- routines of this that provost friend of mine said, why don't you just save the money on creative testing and just ask us which one and do the alternative. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so great. I, what, what I love about this too is it's just this constant reminder, like to, to your point, everything changes and you are not your customer. I think that even within higher ed, once, even if, if you are a little bit younger too, once you've been doing the same thing for a few years, right, you understand your brand message, you understand the, the brand expression, like you're immersed in it, it, it can prevent you from understanding that. But this is the very first time that this prospective student who's a 17-year-old has interacted with our brand, and this is what they saw, and this is how they felt. And I think even for those of us who are, you know, immersed, younger and immersed in the industry uh, and know the brand really well, it, it can be very easy to, to make assumptions, quite frankly, on, on how people will respond and to make assumptions on what's going to work and, and what's not and why. Yep. And I think you get too close. You lose a little bit of objectivity about something that you care so deeply about. And in a lot of cases, when you're an institutional leader, you get further and further removed from day-to-day interactions with students or regular faculty or staff. Your time with those folks is less. Hmm. And so you might get a little out of touch and the data is a way to reconnect. Yeah. Yeah. So well said. So just to challenge, not challenge, but to discuss this to discuss the importance of market research in a little bit more detail here. Obviously, I think you've convinced me that at the start of brand strategy, market research is incredibly important for all the reasons you just outlined. When might market research not be fully necessary? And what are the roles and responsibilities necessary to ensure a a uh, well-executed initiative? And I guess what I'm specifically getting at here, Terry, is... Not every school is going to be able to do market research before every campaign. Not sure. every school is going to you know, have the time, the talent, the resources to think through, hey, before we launch this digital marketing campaign or before we launch this enrollment marketing campaign, whatever it is, let's do some market research, right? So beyond, I guess, when working through a brand, a new brand strategy or a brand refresh, when are the times it might also make sense to do some market research? And then where are some areas where we might be able to save ourselves some money and time and skip it? Yeah. Well, I think anytime where you need to answer the question, what's working, what's not, 
and what do we need to adjust? That's a time for some research. But you can really scale a research program like an accordion. So it can be expanded hmm. or contracted. This is Elizabeth Johnson's wisdom to whatever resources you have available. And it'll give you some insight into what you need to do. But there are places where you can do applications of small amounts of research for a particular purpose. And anytime you have a new initiative, like if your institution is thinking about a really uh, different pricing strategy, that's a place where, boy, you don't want to mess around until you can model a little bit about what will happen. So you could have a pricing study that estimate what the effects would be of a certain kind of tuition reduction or a different kind of discount or tuition income share, something like that. That's a place for some really targeted research. The other place that I think we could do a better job and where it's really finite, very compact, is estimating market, excuse me, estimating market demand and do a competitor analysis for any new program you're thinking of offering. Mm. And more boards are demanding that now to be done in a professional way. You don't have to have a big budget to do that. Every every online program manager partner that you'd be working with would not enter into an agreement unless they understood that the market demand was there at a medium or a high level and the capacity was there to be able to see the kind of returns they need to engage and have the investment at scale and with these tools. So there's some really concrete ways to do research. You know, if you already have a strategy in mind and you're keeping track of short-term and middle-term measures, then you don't need a big replication of the brand research on a um, very frequent basis. But you might wanna do some of the key questions in your own campus climate survey yeah. so that you're repeating it more regularly. You know, there's some version of the net promoter score question of brand loyalty. How satisfied are you with? Would you recommend? You could ask that very easily at um, Stony Brook University where I just was in the last year. The institutional research officer was going to put a pulse survey in for a sample of students with that question once a month. So not every student will get asked the question every month, but a sample will get asked and they're going to track it every hmm. month over the course of the academic year, which makes way more sense when you're thinking about what would have influenced what was happening at time X when we asked this question versus time Y, or have we made progress over time, or are we seeing a decline? Those are all easy, affordable ways to build research into your work. I'm even, I love that example, and I'm even just thinking a super scrappy way where before you launch a, a digital marketing campaign, specifically if it is to a new audience, like using a tool like SEMrush or Ahrefs to understand how many people are even searching right on Google for terms that are even remotely related exactly. to this, right? Or like right. going into Facebook and understanding, like throwing in some selects and saying, what is my potential reach here, right? Again, these are very rough ways to go about doing this, but I, you know, I think that in and of itself is it's incredibly inexpensive slash free. It takes a couple hours of somebody's time, right, to at least just get a pulse, as, yeah. as you've mentioned, for is this a good, is this, you know, are there legs to this or not? But I didn't answer the part of your question related to the roles yes, um, for this yes. research, and I should Thank get you. back to yeah. that. Sorry, I, I lost track of that piece of the question. So anytime you have market research, I do think the role of the CMO is to sort of be the quarterback leading the effort, you know, with the widest view of um, what's being studied, what do you need to use it for, checking in with the leaders. You want to make sure that any market research that you do where you're asking questions, the leaders don't get surprised about what you're asking because that'll come back to you and that they've uh, understood why you're asking it the way that you're asking it. And there's a role for a research expert and that could be a firm 
or an agency. That could also be your internal research colleague at your institution who does assessment research all the time and has good expertise to share. They'll provide the guidance on the methodology and the analysis. They're really the experts. The more we have business analysts in our units, which I think is going to be a trend, they'll be able to do some of that quick discovery that you're talking about in terms of research for some pieces, just to you know make a better decision about choice A versus choice B. Um, let's see, what else? There's a role for a group of people who are neither on the CMO's team nor the research expert, and that's this group that I like to call the marketing task force. And at most institutions, when you're engaged in ongoing brand mark and university-wide marketing work, it's a good idea to gather the power users of the brand. Those folks in the units who are out there expressing the identity of the institution to key segments of your audience and get someone at a fairly high level in each of those units to be part of an ongoing group that meets periodically. They might meet more frequently if you've got an intense piece of work to do like a stakeholder study or the brand expression is being developed. They might meet you know, once a month or a couple times a semester if you've just got ongoing maintenance of the brand to do. But they're a group of people who are going to be more informed and deeply involved in the work because they're helping to steer it. Yeah. So they're not doing the research, but they're guiding it. And they become bought in, which is a great advantage. They become your ambassadors for the work when it's completed. And they can help make meaning of things because of their experience with the campus in their own roles. And so you get a finding that comes back and it looks kind of screwy. They can tell you that and maybe surmise why. And then there's an exchange with the research expert about what else should we look at? Is there another way to analyze that? Whatever. So there's three groups of people who are involved almost in every step of the process of significant market research work. Yeah, no, I appreciate you. Thank you for bringing us back there because that's incredibly important. And I love the marketing task force in particular. And I feel like the two audiences, the two groups you talked about before are maybe a little bit more common and and people understand that. But I think it it can be easy to forget that third but incredibly essential group of people when conducting this kind of research. Over the course of your career and just as you've talked with colleagues in different contexts, what are some common mistakes that institutions tend to make when conducting market research? Well, you can make plenty, (laughs) and I've made most of them at some point, I think. But here are two ones that I think are particularly important. The first is um, not asking the hard questions. Mm. And a lot of times this will have to do with your leaders being reticent to repeat some perception of you that you need to test to find out whether you need to address it, right? So if you're an institution that has a perception as a party school, or you think that's the case, and you want to somehow get a sense of how big a deal this is that, is it really true? And for which audiences, you got to find a way to ask. And there is a way to do that without reinforcing that a research expert will be able to help you with. At American, when I was starting in the role there, they were just coming out of a pretty significant leadership and governance crisis under the previous president. And we wondered whether, I mean, it was in the news daily in the Washington region and it had made national news and there were hearings in the Senate. It got pretty wide play in the higher ed traits. So we were worried that it was having an effect on higher ed peer leaders, maybe parents, alumni, who knew? And we needed to know whether we had to address that at all in our brand strategy. So there was a way to ask, for example, do you recall any events in the last five years that have affected your perception of the institution? Mm. That open-ended. And 
sure enough, it came back that most people didn't recall anything that yeah. negatively affected their perception of the institution. And for those that did and mentioned it, there was a follow-up question about, you know, sort of its impact on the perception of the university. And it was uh, found that most people thought the university had handled the recovery from that, addressed the issues really well after the fact. Wow. So you can put that to bed, never forget what you learned and, you know, have operationalized a different way of doing things. But can say to the leadership, we don't have to, you don't have to worry about this anymore as an ongoing reflection of the university. And we uh, can address other things in our brand strategy. So ask the hard questions. The other piece that's probably just a quick one is not testing the p potential differentiators. So if you're testing things that are comfortable, they're usually <laughs> table stakes and they are what everyone else in higher education or your part of higher education could claim. And you might get great response. An example of something we tested at American was theory and practice. That you know, what you learn at the university is a combination of both theory and practice. Faculty loved it. Students loved it. It's like motherhood and apple pie, right? Of course <laughs> they love it, but every other institution can claim it. And we put it in there to, for reasons that had to do with both testing and then seeing what else competitors were saying out there. But it's not going to help you with the essential work. Of On that note, I love the, the not asking the hard questions too. And I think another example of it beyond the one that you gave is just, you know, being able to and being okay with the feedback that you get, like and ensuring that it's clear. Like you, you have to ask the question in a way that you know definitively by the response, like is this an issue or is it no longer an issue? And so I love how, you know, how, how you all crafted that question so strategically without referring to the actual event. But I think that like sometimes, at least from with folks that I've talked to at, at the end of market research, there's there can still be a little bit of ambiguity. Oh, but like, I don't know, the way that we asked the question here could, depending on what the person thought when they read it, it could have been X or could have been Y, which I would imagine you would say is, is probably a poor question, right? Like if the question was probably just not designed particularly well, but I love your note on that because I think that is definitely something that can get tripped up by. And I, I know as a frequenter of, I love responding to surveys. It's one of the things that I just love <laughs> oh, you doing. you twisted. <laughs> I know, but yeah, I, I love especially, you know, not, not only when I've had a bad experience, especially when I've had yeah, a bad experience, yeah. but no, I, I like to pride myself. I like to say I'm somebody that will respond even if I've, you know, if I've had a good, uh, a bad experience, a great experience, yeah. but even if I've had an okay experience. And maybe that's just because I have a lot of friends that do market research and I feel, you know, sense of duty or whatnot. But like, are there... Are there other common mistakes in, in terms of like craft, like not just asking the hard questions, but also like crafting questions yeah. that you've seen? Yeah. And the reason you have a research expert and a task force is to keep you out of trouble with most of those questions. Yeah. So a research ex expert will help you avoid questions that have, that are asking for two things at the same time, for example, mm. and say, nope, we got to sort this out into two pieces yeah, because yeah. it's not clear whether they're answering about X or Y. And the marketing task force will say, when you say it this way, our audience hears this, yeah. but you're looking for that. So you actually go through a process of developing the instruments that you're going to use with the marketing task force so that you get that kind of feedback in advance. And it avoids some of those questions. You still sometimes have a problem that you didn't realize or you get these confounding results and sometimes you need to do follow-up more market research sack <laughs> no <laughs> but sometimes there is a question about that we can measure the magnitude of this but we don't understand why hmm. it's this way and you have to go in and do a different method interviews focus groups something just to understand quickly 
more what's driving that if you can yeah um, it'll help you better understand the last thing I'll say about this is a lot of times when you get arguments about the instrumentation or the method, it's mm. by your community that doesn't want to wrestle with the findings. And so it's always good to make sure your method is solid so that you can take it out of the equation. You're not arguing about how you ask the question and you're focused on what are we going to do about these results? Yeah. Yeah. So well said. Beyond your experience at American that you just referenced, are there another couple specific examples you can point to of schools who've designed and structured and executed a market research project, especially well, even if it's just been anecdotal and you haven't been involved in it, who do you think are, are good examples that folks might be able to point to as people that know what they're doing and have done this well? Yeah. I'm especially impressed with Bucknell because they started with a rigorous approach for developing their brand in the first place. And they've been really disciplined about maintaining measures over time so that they can prove the effect that it's had. Hmm. It's impressive. And now they're looking at brand health measures that they look at regularly. So I think they're really an, a model of be best practice in that regard. I admire how much Hart Hartwick College used market research to build a new institutional strategy. So they tested certain kinds of repositioning options in the market, and they paid really close attention to which things the prospective students responded to most strongly in a positive way. They got those results and then they took them into the community with the provost leading a strategic planning process around those things that students were most responsive to. And they weren't things you wouldn't, you know, consider otherwise, you know, part and parcel of what we do in higher ed, but really helpful. So they developed the strategy around the market research and then they built the brand expression around that. So impressive to see that structure. And then just a couple of others, Indiana Tech and North Central um, in Illinois, both use market research to develop their new strategic plan, and then they followed um, with their brand strategy led by the president, which in both cases is really impressive. I'm still waiting for the day where, I, I think I've talked about this on this podcast before, but my wife and I are big Orange Theory lovers. And for those that don't know, Orange Theory is a gym a workout class that does specializes in HIIT workouts. And after every class, you leave the class, and seconds later, my phone pings with a push notification saying, hey, how would you rate this class? And any comments you might have, right? So I'm still waiting for the day where we college or university classroom, yeah. right? And it's like in real time, it's, hey, you know, Zach, rate this course, rate the instruction of the course, rate the quality of the content of the course. And we can't be too far off from that. It's, it's happening in other places, all, you know, right now. And I don't know if faculty would hate something like this, but <laughs> yeah, if they won't let us take attendance to know in the class we should be surveying that day, then probably it's not right around the corner. But, but imagine, imagine that yeah. feedback, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and like talk about like, getting that weekly, daily, right, monthly from your students, from your customers, yeah. what that does and the resources it saves in a number of categories. Yes. I mean, it, yeah. Anyways, I, I, I look Completely forward to the agree. day. And I think you make a really good point, which is that the customer experience in every other industry is affecting people's expectations when they come to higher education. Yeah. You're constantly disappointing them. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the more that we structure our data gathering about who's having the experience and what kind of experience they're having. It's going to be really important. So I want to end our, our chat today with uh, kind of, kind of, kind of where we started um, and where the sentiment comes from. But I do have, I have several friends in, in the industry who have expressed 
you know, how much money they spent hiring agency X to come do this project. And they got a 800 page report with all the things that they need to do. I think this is a little bit more focused on brand strategy to, to change brand sentiment. And it's really just like this laundry list of work that the agency <laughs> created for them. I'm curious. And there, and there's a joke, which goes something along the lines of, so we got this report that we paid gobs of money for and it's going to sit on my desk for the next three years right now obviously this is an extreme example hopefully this isn't this is i know this isn't the norm but it can be very overwhelming as a higher ed marketer to receive this kind of comprehensive report yeah. and know how to start so like how are the best leaders in higher education that are that have invested heavily in, in great market research how are they actionalizing it like what are they doing it what are they doing to to use an earlier analogy to crawl walk run their way through mm -hmm. the implementation of the mm -hmm. findings well i think you know if you have someone who's immobilized about using those results or is ignoring them something's going on yeah they're yeah. either frightened or they're overwhelmed, or they don't believe them. There's a problem there, whatever that is. And so there are things you can do before you ever collect a bit of data to set expectations hmm. and to involve your leaders in what's going to be asked, what they'll get back, and what you're going to use the results for. And be specific, because if they understand that, they'll be more on board when the results come back. And then it will be over overwhelming, but if you start to cultivate a conversation after the fact to say of all the things that this is telling us to do, which are the highest priority audiences yeah. whose perceptions or awareness we need to change? Let's make that priority one, right? So you start to form your requirements for what to do immediately upon getting the findings back. You don't just have a conversation about the results and leave it at that. You should be knitting it together hmm. with what it means for what you need to do to get you know, different results to take action on terms in terms of uh, influencing the brand in the case of brand research. I think the best CMOs understand that they're using it to form this roadmap of what do we need to do next and to keep it as their insurance policy afterwards, which we've talked about before. They're using it to set the baseline because if you can't measure what you're doing, then it's going to be harder to ask for additional investments to yeah. continue and sustain the process. So I think all in all, it helps you, CMOs who use practices like this, know that it helps them kind of sustain the project over time because it is going to take time to build and show results. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and I, I love how you started that that answer, Terry, with the, if folks do respond that way, there's something going on. And I think, like, if you are that leader and you get the report back and you feel a little bit paralyzed um, by that, it's time to have a conversation. It's time to get help. It's time to bring your team in, bring, you know, the president and other leaders to say, hey, this is overwhelming. This looks, you know, daunting. How do we work through this together? Because as you mentioned before, right, like if in fact marketing strategy is institutional strategy, right, then market research is, is also institutional research, right? And therefore there yes. are more people. It's not all on you to kind of, you know, figure out how to, how to make sense of all of this. Right. And hopefully if, if the work has been done well and you've, if you've been an active participant in it, you know, the agency or whoever's kind of helping execute this research for you has at least given you some indication of where to start. Yeah. <laughs> oh, please hope. God. You know, I learned a long time ago and I think agencies are usually pretty good at this. If something is eliciting a defensive reaction, it helps to just get curious about what information is being conveyed in this. What are people telling us and why? If you think about it in that way and you make it a joint exercise in making meaning about what these results 
show. Not like, how can we dismiss them, annihilate them, <laughs> diffuse them, whatever's happening here. How can we understand what's going on here and be curious? Mm. Makes you a better leap. And it gives you kind of the runway to figure out what to do about it. So well said. Well, Terry, thanks again for your time. This has been uh, a blast for those tuning in here. This is episode three, part of the How to Market University podcast series. And this is really just a teaser for Terry's incredible master course on how to market a university that you can find at enrollify.org forward slash master course. And you can register now and just get way more of, of, of this conversation and a plethora of other conversations. But Terry, thank you so much for your time and for your work. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Zach. Who knew research could be so much fun? I know my head hurts after all this talk. (laughs) Stay tuned for more fun. (laughs) 